Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me on this beautiful early Saturday evening, right after the 2019 <laughs> NHL draft. If you can tell, I had, don't have no preparation for an intro here because I'm running on fumes. My brain is scrambled. I've got a million names circulating in my head. But it's Chris Peters, hey. my ESPN colleague. We're going to <laughs> we're gonna be chatting about the draft, yeah. doing uh, winners and losers. Sure. Uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. It's, it's, let's, let's get right into it. Let's, let's do it. Let's not beat around the bush. I was going to ask you some stuff about how long you've been covering the draft, all of this stuff, but... You and I are both so tired right now. I think <laughs> yes, we should just get right into this. Let's start with the winners. Let's be um, let's be optimistic. Let's be glass half full kind of guys. Let's sell fans on hope. Oh, I love it. That's what I do for for a living. You know, I think it was a great year to have two picks in the draft. So that's one thing right off the hop. You look at what Colorado was able to do. You look at what um, Los Angeles was able to do, and, and even with their early second round pick and getting uh, Arthur Kaliev. There's so much value to be had in the first two rounds of this draft. And I think the teams that were able to collect multiple picks there were did really well, one of which being the Carolina Hurricanes, who really loaded up on picks by trading back a lot. They also got great value in the first round with Ryan Suzuki, who I, I really like. I think the reason that he dropped is that there's some concern that he's a bit a perimeter player. <laughs> um, but you know, you look at Carolina and they take they take them, and then they continue to load up on skill. I, I kind of felt like they may have been uh, peeking at my draft board mm. just because they kept picking guys that I really liked a right. lot, like Kirill Slepitz, late um, Patrick Puistola. Uh, they 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 had some really really good picks, and this is a team that was in the Eastern Conference Final this year. Yep. I mean, like they're not supposed to have this kind of draft hall. So for me, the Kings, the Avalanche, uh, definitely the the Carolina Hurricanes. Those are some of the big big winners right away well let's get into all of those i think the overarching theme here for the entire 
draft weekend, which encompasses some of the trades we saw, which we can get into as well, the actual picks. Um, even before it, some of the stuff the Rangers did with getting Adam Fox and getting Jacob Truba, it's this idea of like accumulating assets, mm-hmm. whether you use them as actual draft currency, whether um, cap space is an asset. Right. Um, you know, you can look at it any different way, but a lot of these teams, and you mentioned that had two first round picks, just based on the way the draft shook out in a lot of those instances, especially with the second picks being either in the late teens or early 20s for those teams, there were a lot of very skilled forwards mm-hmm. that fell in this draft and slid. And for those teams, they probably went into the process. I'm, maybe they were optimistic thinking they could get them, but basically they just kind of sat back and waited and these guys fell into their laps. And so whether it's New Hook at 16 for the Avs with their second pick, whether it's uh, Braden Tracy at 29 for the mm-hmm. Ducks, whether it's I'm, – I'm trying to even think right now. I mean, there's any number of teams – there was just so many, so much forward depth in this draft that was falling and falling because there was such a rush for defensemen. So I guess that's the other theme where whether it's because teams realize that maybe trading for defensemen or signing defensemen is such a sort of a losing proposition because you're going to wind yeah. up spending so much either money or uh, trade assets to do so. A lot of these teams are trying to draft young defensemen and then stash them mm-hmm. and then have as many of them as possible to have them playing on ELCs for them eventually. And so... We saw a lot of that. We can get into those individual players, but the result was it was a good time to be picking in the 20s because there were so many good forwards. Yeah, the, everybody, you know, I think I look at a guy like Philip Tomasino as well as a guy that I thought would go higher. I heard a lot of buzz that he was going to go higher. I uh, went 24th to, to Nashville, and I he, he's such a tremendous fit for that organization. And uh, Connor McMichael, same type of thing with the, with the Washington Capitals. Um, you know, and then Ryan Suzuki is the prime example, I think, of, of a guy that, that dipped even further. And, you know, talking about some of those defensemen that went high, I mean, Detroit really threw a wrench in the entire thing. <laughs> it, was, it was cool because I, I haven't covered a draft live in a while since the one in Philly four or five years ago or whatever. But it was cool just being on that sort of draft floor with all the rest of the media because it was, it was just like a ooh. Like, like it was – there were gasps throughout the arena. The loudest gasp was more at Siders, by the way. Exactly. I mean, he looked like he was going to pass out. And I, I, you know, I've interviewed him before. He's one of my favorite people to talk to in this draft class. I was so happy for him. I thought it was a bit of a reach yes. uh, for, for the Detroit. It's a risky pick because he did not play power play, penalty kill. He was, like, averaging about 11 minutes a game. Bottom pairing defenseman in the German Elite League. And, and that's not a... You know, that's probably where you should be when you're 17 years old in a lineup where you've got former NHLers yep. and, and, and top pros. But, oh, my gosh, I mean, that the sound in that building from the fans, from the media, I think even from the draft floor, no one saw that coming. So everyone that I talked to on Friday night, and a lot of these people were actually pretty plugged in, much more plugged in than I am as, as insiders and as people that have been talking to these teams, I was like, I actually like Cider quite a bit as a prospect. Yep. And I think he's I the right type of project to be buying kind of low on or whatever or investing in right. down, for down the road. The problem is they didn't buy low because they drafted him at sixth overall with a bunch of really big name forwards still available. And so my point was I felt like they could have gotten Cider later if they were just like – if they really wanted him, which is understandable, just trade down, recoup right. future assets. And what I got back a lot of was – they felt like if they traded back, they might miss out on him because yeah. as we saw, I mean, what the Coyotes trade up from 14 to 11 to take Victor Soderstrom. Right. Uh, Broberg goes eighth. Yep. I mean, 
so we saw this run of defensemen, and then there was that other run later on with Hainola and Lassie Thompson and yep. so on and so forth. And so I guess they just thought that we can't really afford because we really want this player to move down at all. So we're just going to take him and get right. our guy. And there's from a, from like a, a money ballish value perspective, you can quibble with it from a like stick to your guns and just like call your shot and sort of be like, we want this guy, so we're going to get him. I kind of admire it in a way. Like I, you, I can definitely see both sides of it. Yeah, I can too. And I mean, I, I, I get it. And I, I also want to just give a quick shout out to JD Burke too, because he had that he pegged did, yeah. yep. like a 24 hours in advance. And, and so I say when nobody saw it coming, JD saw it coming. So, yep. so good on him. I, I want to give him a shout out for that because uh, I mean, aside from that, there was just not a lot of buzz that that was going to be the way that they went. And, you know, it's Steve Eisenman's first draft. You know, he wants to make, you know, the right picks. He's not going to just make a splash for the sake of making a splash. But I think in his case, in in John Chica's case, the the uh, the the decision to go for those defensemen, both right shot guys, both you know, there, there's a lot of value in that. I think a lot of teams are looking for right shot defensemen. Um, I really think that you know, I, I give them credit for that. I I think Mort Sider probably would have been there later. I just don't know how far you would have wanted to move back. Right. But at the same time. When, if you have a guy, if you're high on him, you just take him, and you don't care about anything about who's around there. I, you know, I think there were more value in the forwards that were available. I mean, Cole Caulfield was still on the board there. Trevor Zegers was still on the board there. Matthew Boldy, uh, you know, Peyton Krebs, who who slipped even yep. further. I mean, th- there was a lot of value to be had there. But if you have a guy and you like him, you're going to do whatever you have to do to take him, and you don't care how high. Well, it's funny you bring up Caulfield there because I was I was going to point out I think in the pre-draft process and a lot of these mock drafts for whatever reason Cam York was a guy who was really linked to the Montreal Canadiens at 15 mm-hmm. and it's approaching there and you think okay it's going to work out neatly where you know it's it's telegraphed but it's going to happen and then the Flyers just take him at 14 yeah. and, and so it, it's one of those things where I wouldn't I did I didn't think Cam York would go that high I thought he would land in, to them at 15 but you never know and i'm sure the canadians are very happy getting cool caulfield but yeah it just goes to show you that you kind of can't just like sit back and if you really like a guy you need to actually go and get him because you can't just bet on it happening anyways right and i'm i'm pretty sure that the philadelphia would have taken him if they kept their 11th pick too um because i uh, you know i think cam york is is uh you know he he plays such a such a great brand of hockey he's the modern defenseman right. really i mean the the way that the way that he plays and I thought it was a really smart move by Chuck Fletcher to to make that gamble and say, okay, well, if we don't get him, one of those guys is going to be there for us. Yep. I think everybody, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a big secret that that Arizona wanted Soderstrom. Uh, I certainly thought that maybe they were go. I had heard some rumblings that they were looking goaltender, um, and so I wondered if it was for Spencer Knight, uh, but he ended up going two picks later. So yeah, it was it was a wild like that whole seg- segment of the draft there was pretty crazy. But I I did want to give Chuck Fletcher some credit for getting an extra asset, which he then used to get Bobby Brink to get Bobby yep. Brink, which is like, and that the 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 uh, the jumbling of picks in this draft right. was one of my favorite elements of it because I thought that the teams that traded back just crushed in in, in a lot of situations where they got two options as opposed to one. Yep. Um, of a guy that you know could provide some value as a late round pick. Yeah, two options that could have been one, and and in a lot of those cases, like the guy they got later on 
if they would have just taken him with their initial pick, it would have been justified. It right. Just, that's the way it kind of right. shook out. And, and yeah, that's, that's a great point. I was going to bring that up as well because I've been critical of Chuck Fletcher with some of the recent moves and signings he's done uh, leading up to this, but that was a great value proposition he made there. And I had a question for you before we move off of this, the, the run of defensemen. This report came out that John Chayka had Victor Soderstrom as the third overall player on his draft board. When you yeah. see stuff like that, are you actually buying that? Or do you think it's kind of like, it, it seems like too convenient. It's like justification, like pumping his own player up where it's yeah. like, we love this guy and that's why we took him where we did and traded up for him. Or Because it seems pretty far-fetched, even though they did trade up to 11 to get him, that they would actually deem him to be the third best prospect in this yeah. class. G- given the amount that Arizona invests in scouting and and you know the amount of time that those guys have to put in, um, on that staff, I buy it. I really? buy that they had him there. Now, yeah. the other thing that, that the other factor that at play there, you know, I certainly he was actually my fourth defenseman right. on my board. You know, <laughs> so or fifth, I think, because yeah. I had him behind Sider and Broberg and York. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so it, it's kind of it was all subjective. Obviously, this year we knew that there was no consensus after two, and that meant that there were going to be the Moritz Siders and the and the Victor Soderstroms that teams had that high now John Chica also said I'm not leaving this draft without Victor Soderstrom right um and I still think if he would I, I still think he would have been there but that would have been a gamble you know but yeah it, it was a gamble either way so yeah but it, it it's it, it was pretty fascinating to kind of see the shuffling that went on uh and, and I I don't doubt it that that he was the number three guy on their board well, it's, it's funny because I guess the Panthers aren't as much anymore now that Dale Talon is, is back running the ship mostly. But I guess in terms of the draft, they still have a lot of their, uh, you know, analytical draft experts there. Oh, and, the computer and, boys? Yeah, the computer boys, exactly, <laughs> helping run their draft. And so it was funny because back-to-back with the Coyotes and the Panthers, you see the Coyotes trade up to get Victor Soderstrom, and then the Panthers take a goalie at 13. And it's like those are like two of the most like kind of anti-analytic yep. strategies come to draft. Yep. And they did it. And, and – I'm sure there's a lot of elements that go into that, but sometimes this stuff is, is also, it's not necessarily like going uniformly in a straight line. Sometimes if you see an opportunity to pounce, you might lose from a value perspective, but gain long-term because you got the better player. If you feel right. confident. Right. And I, I wonder how, I wonder how hard Dale Talon swallowed when he saw Arizona move up and in like, are we going to not get our goalie? Cause I'm pretty sure that Dale Talon was, was really into getting Spencer Knight at, at whatever cost. And you know, it, those are kind of the anti-analytic moves, but at the same time, you know, you I think with with particularly with Spencer Knight and getting into a goalie picking, you know, in the first round, the risk is high. There's yeah. no question. It doesn't matter how good the goalie prospect is. He's the highest drafted since Jack Campbell, and then you bring up the name Jack Campbell, and who was awesome last he, year for the Kings. He, he was great, <laughs> you know, but it took him a long time yep. to get there, and and he needed the right coaching and everything. But you know, anything can happen with these guys along the way. Um, but Spencer Knight was so far and away the best goaltender in this draft that you wouldn't if if you weren't going to get him you probably wouldn't want to settle for anything less than that. So I understand why so many teams were interested in picking him in the top fifteen. Well, it's funny when I, I did a mock draft with Cam Robinson here a few days ago, mm-hmm. and, and we talked about how um, just with the development in the draft and how teams have realized that 
you know, goalies are a bit of a crapshoot and you don't want to invest super premium assets in them. Usually what happens is come the second or third round, one GM finally pulls the trigger and then all of the other GMs out there are like, oh, well, he did it, so now I can do it. No one's yeah. going to make fun of me. Yeah. And we saw that this year where right. the Hurricanes take Kachetkov, what, 36 or whatever, yeah. and then all of a sudden you see Sogard go off the board, you see a couple teams yeah, trade Hunter up to Jones, get goalies, and yeah. all of a sudden it's just an absolute free-for-all. Right, exactly. And I, I thought I thought that this year that the top end of the goalie class was, was pretty tight. Um, outside of Spencer Knight, if I thought, you know, Kachikov and, and Sogard were my number two and number three goalies. And the only other goalies that, um, I even ranked in my, in my own, uh, in my own ranking, um, uh, for the, for the overall draft. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And you don't want to be holding the bag if, if, and especially if that's a position of need. And, yep. and I think the teams that did go and get goalies addressed a position of need within their systems. Um, like even Hugo Alnafelt going in the fourth round, uh, to, to Tampa Bay, you know, they just traded away Connor Ingram. They had the spot, and that that's a really nice add at that range um, to, to, to have that. So, yeah, this was a really interesting class. There were guys that picked, you know, all the way through. There were a couple that didn't get picked that I thought would. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of amazing to to see the, the, the way that the goalie class kind of shook out this year. And then next year we've got – We've got Askarov, the the Russian O2 goalie, mm. who could go even higher than Spencer Knight. Wow, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, the tricky thing with goalies is, I get completely what you're saying, coming from the perspective of organizational need and feeling more comfortable that you at least like have someone in the pipeline where you can point to and be like, as bleak as things might look for us now and that down the road we ha- this is going to be our answer. Mm-hmm. But the issue with that is like, especially with 18 year old goalies by the time they're generally ready to compete in your uh, on full time for you at the NHL level, who knows what your organizational needs are going to be. And a great right. example for me of this is like the New York Islanders recently, where I imagine when they drafted Ilya Sorokin mm-hmm. and stashed him and they probably view him as the goalie of the future. And I'm sure they still do. He has done nothing overseas to make us think that he's not going to be dominant when he comes, right. he comes here. Right. But then all of a sudden you just get Robin Leonard randomly and he just goes off and has this amazing year and he's still in his prime and they could sign him this summer long term and he could basically be in the way of, Ilya Sorokin coming over and being yeah. a full-time goalie for them. And so that's just like, you never really know three projecting three, four years down the line, what's going to happen, what free agent you're going to sign, who's going to randomly develop that you weren't expecting to. And, right. and so that's always when teams are like going out of their way to draft purely for need, as opposed to just best player available. That's always kind of when I become like, I'm not sure that was the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing that I also want to point out about the whole goaltending situation is Teams are investing more in goalie scouting now. Right. There, there are dedicated goalie scouts on a lot of teams. Not all the teams. Um, the, the goalie coach in a lot of cases is, is involved in that process. Um, but, you know, you look, they, they have guys that are specifically watching the goalies and they're watching them all throughout the country, they're, you know, or out, throughout the world. And, and that's their sole focus. And I think that the, that's leading to better decisions, for one. Um, it, it is also making GMs more comfortable because they're not taking people's words that, that aren't an expert in the, in the position. Most of the guys that are goalie scouts are, are former goaltenders themselves, former goalie coaches. Um, so they have the nuances of the position, and I think they also have a good feel for the temperament of the players. And so I think that that's leading to better decisions. I think that was a market inefficiency for a yep. while. Like we're, we're just going to use our scouts, and they're going to be able to pick out goalies and that doesn't work and, and you need somebody to pump the brakes for you. So I, I think wh- when you have guys where that's their sole focus and they're not also the goaltending coach, that's when you get better decisions. So I think that that's, that's, that's helping things yeah. in terms of the, the, the risk that's involved. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, 
you know, the goalies have gotten so good at, you know, at the NHL level, anywhere below. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing that you can't, you know, you would think that it would be easier to make that decision, right? but it's a mental position. Yes. And now you're, you don't know what, what, what a kid's maturity is going to be like. You don't know how he's going to grow up. It's, you know, there's all sorts of outside factors that play into it. And I mean, you, you have to have somebody that has a great feel for all of it. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's risky. Obviously if it pans out you're going to wind up sitting pretty, but you know, a team that we haven't talked about yet that I thought um, absolutely killed it at this draft was the Colorado Avalanche. Yes. And one of the big questions I had coming into this when we were trying to kind of forecast how the top of the draft was going to go, obviously the Blackhawks were kind of the pivot team there. We knew what was going to happen one, two, and then it was, okay, well, whatever the Blackhawks do, I guess there's a, going to be a guy that falls into the Avs lap. It'll just make a decision easy. And a lot of us thought it was going to be Turcotte going number three, mm-hmm. which and then the Avs would just go Byram. Um, but when Dak went off the board at three, I think there was an interesting debate to be had there where if you're the Avs, considering that you have recently invested in Makar, you still have Sam Gerrard, Tyson Berry's still there. We'll see how long he'll be there for. But you have young defensemen already in place. Connor Timmins, are you better off maybe just going with a guy like Turcotte and trying to lock down that number two center behind Nathan McKinnon to fill the role that Tyson Jost, I guess, was thought to be, that just hasn't panned out for them. And funny enough, they went Byron at four, they took their defenseman, and then they got Alex Newhook at 16, who quite possibly could very easily just be that number two center for them and is a massive exactly. value at 16. And so, I mean, it goes to our point of uh, having those assets, having the two first rounders, but for them, it fell perfectly into their laps and a team that certainly has plenty of skill and skating ability already just added to prolific skaters and playmakers who very conceivably within two, three years could be big time factors for them and will still be right on right in line with this timeline of McKinnon, Ranton and Atlantis Cog and so on and so forth. And it's scary to think about for other teams for us as analysts. It's very fun because I can't wait to watch all those guys play. Yeah. They, they, I think Joe Sackick deserves a lot of credit for the, the, the strategy that this team has kind of undertaken since the, crazy Patrick Wah years. And I mean, it, it's all about let's get faster. Let's get more skilled. And, and they've done it at the draft. This is a team that's actually really struggled to draft outside of the first round. Mm-hmm. So it was actually really valuable that they had two first rounders <laughs> this year. And and I really like their second round pick drew Hellison, a big defenseman who, who moves the puck pretty well. Um, but they got so much better on their decor within a year. I think Byram needs another year junior. I, I could be wrong. I yeah. mean, I think he there's a chance he could step in. I think it would behoove them to to give him one more year to just, you know, he was dominant this year, but I think there were elements of his game that still need refining. Um, and then Alex Newhook is going from the BCHL to college hockey. There's always kind of a little bit of a rocky uh, for sure start there, but he's going to be an impact player for BC. And they've got so so with that, they've got two guys that they can kind of allow to develop and maybe have a. I think Byron's got the shorter timeline of the two, but. They, 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 they draft to type now. And, and I think that's that's sim- a lot of teams are doing that, where it's not just about best player available. It's about fit. It's about how does this guy do the things that we need in our system. And I think it's leading to better decisions. And the interesting thing is, you know, you think they have Kale McCarr already. Connor Timmons hopefully will be healthy this year, yeah. and he's a really good player when he is healthy. It's very interesting to me to, to see that they're like, hey, why not just get the, the cornerstone defenseman yeah. and have two of them 
You can never have too many. You can't have too many. Yeah. McCarr's a right shot. Byram's a left shot. You know, you're you're feeling really good about where everything is heading for the Avalanche. And again, I think it's just because they have focused on this long-term strategy of getting faster and more skilled, yep. and it's already paying off for them. Yeah, and even I think uh, Bo- Bo- Bocage in like the third mm-hmm. round or something, I like him as well. Yeah. yeah, no, they drafted really well. Yeah, I liked it. I liked all their late their late stuff. I mean, even like Luca Burzan is another guy that that can fly, and uh, and Trent Minor. So a lot of people had said had 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 uh, the Avalanche pegged as Spencer Knight's yep. destination at sixteen. Well, they go ahead and they wait until the seventh round to get a goalie, and I think Trent Miner's got got a lot of upside. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a seventh round pick. Yeah, you know, you hedge a little bit, but at the same time, you know, they filled out their prospect pool pretty nicely here with, with this draft and, and last year's as well. So a couple of uh, other winners I have here, I have the ducks cause I really mm-hmm. like Trevor Zegers. I think Me too. like I, I, he was probably like my third favorite prospect in this class. I really loved him a lot. Bray, Braden Tracy at 29. I like him quite a bit as well with the golden Knights getting Krebs falling to them at 17 and then Huge. Dora five at 79. Um, you know, they didn't have the massive pick volume by any means, but they just kind of fell into their lap and they got, a bunch of skill and they've drafted very well in their uh, very short time in this league. And so that was cool to see. But from a volume perspective, I think my number one winner might've been the Kings and they were, and it's funny because they're one of the teams that had the two first round picks. Yep. And I actually didn't love their second first round pick. I I think Burnfoot's fine. Yeah. There were other guys that, you know, we mentioned Tom, uh, Tomasino, I think went to pick after a couple other forwards that I like there, but Turcotte fell to them at five. And if he went third overall, I don't think anyone would have blinked an eye. Kalia fell to them at 33. I don't care if he's born in 1999 or if he's born in, in, in whatever year he claims. That's good value at that point. And they got Samuel Fagamo to follow them. I, for, yeah. I forget where, but in the 50s, I believe, or yeah. 50th overall, yeah. maybe. And so this kind of continues this trend, which I've been pointing out recently of, you know, they took Kapari, Akil Thomas, uh, Jared Anderson Dolan. Mm-hmm. Um, they traded for Carl Garnstrom. All of a sudden, they – we think of it as this slow uh, plotting team with just an aging core and they still are that at the NHL level. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be a, a slow burn here, but at least like this is how teams are constructed where you can't just have two guys at, at either, any position and be like, Oh, we're set now. Right. They just are going like using a full hose and they're just like, we're just going to like get like 15 of these guys and, a couple of them pan out, we're set. And so that's what they're doing here, and I really like to see that. Yeah, I, I think this is a very similar situation to Colorado is that Rob Blake and their and their staff has said, we need to get faster. We need to get more skilled, again. And, and that is what they've been doing. And I think, you know, Tobias Bjornfoot is, is not an offensive juggernaut. We know that. But he is a good skater. He can make plays. He's a great defender. Uh, Kaliev is not a fast skater, but he's actually pretty agile. He's mm. got good, good edge work. He can, you know, he can uh, – you know, turn pretty, turn pretty well. You know, he's, he's, he's lighter. He's got a heavy stride when he's going North and South, but he actually has some, some agility East West. Um, and then, yeah, Fagamo, uh, Jordan Spence is a really nice skater. So I think they put a premium and and all the previous prospects that you mentioned, they put a premium on speed and that is going to help them in a big way uh, very soon. I mean, the, the value they got with Akil Thomas last year yeah. was just outstanding. He had an awesome year. In his Huge year, out. over 100 points in the O. Um, you know, even 
going down to their their seventh round pick, Andre Lee. I think that could be a really sneaky. That's one. just Anders Lee with a fake mustache. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. It might be. Yeah, yeah. But this one's Swedish, so no, he's yeah, he's true. so so he very well he could be <laughs> Swedish, Anders Lee. Um, but I I just think that the Kings have you know they've kind of moved past. Unfortunately, they've had you know um, the why am I blanking? Velarde. Yes, thank yeah. you, Gabriel Velarde. Yeah. Um, you know who's who hasn't been able to play, yeah, yeah. and 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 what? It, and again, it was a skill player there. Yeah, and um, he fell into that because he was like one of the big followers. Exactly. In that yeah, right? yeah. And I I think, it, I think that they did such a good job, and I agree with you that they're they're a winner. Um, Kaliev is like having a third first rounder. I mean, the the goal scoring that he has is 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 unbelievable. And you know, you look at the two guys that they picked before him, and character is way high on the list yeah. for. Alex Turcotte and Tobias Bjorn Foot. Yeah. And then it's maybe not for Arthur Kelly. Well, that's on, been the on, knock. Av- on average it works out. That's been that's been the knock. But you say but the teams that have like good cultures right. and good leadership, like the like the San Jose Sharks last year taking uh, Ryan Merkley in the first round. Yeah. Not sh- I still don't know if that's gonna pan out for them, but either way, you get those guys and you say, Hey, we can we can get him to where he needs to be. And I think that's what the Arthur Kaliev pick says to me. And it was smart for them to not let him uh, drop much further uh, in that second round. Well, and yeah, and at a certain point of the draft, like when you just get a guy with that much raw ability, it's like it might not work out. But if it does work out, it's just worth the risk at that point. It's not like you're burning a high first round pick. Yeah. It's like whatever. And that's and that's again the value of having multiple picks. Two exactly. first rounders. Yeah, that was their third yeah. pick of the draft. Yeah. Right. And then they also had two second rounders. So you're like, we've got a cushion. Yeah. We've got a cushion. We can make a. We can make take a swing here. Well. Volume wise, the Hurricanes made thirteen draft picks, oh, and yeah. I was gonna like do some research, and then it was gonna take too long. I don't know when the last time a team made that many picks was, um, but it might have been Montreal last year. They had a ton last year. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember. it's, it's yeah. possible. But so in a matter of minutes during the draft, I love this. They flipped, so they took Kuchekov thirty six, and then they start. It's like they like Jedi mind trick the other teams because <laughs> they took that goalie. They kind of started that goalie run I just talked about. Then Ottawa is like, oh goalies. So then they trade 37 for 44 and 83. Matt Sogard goes with 37. Then they flip 59 for 73 and 99. And they just wind up getting all these guys that everyone loves that just keep falling. Antonio Honka, Pistola, as you mentioned, uh, Dominic Fensor, Slepets, who I love yeah, watching, love World Juniors. <laughs> like, just like, and it's all this like pick value, pick volume. I don't know which of these guys is going to pan out, but they took so many of them that I'm sure a couple of them will. And that's that classic Eric Telsky effect there where there's a lot of teams that just still, I feel like, you know, you get very enamored and I know this kind of goes against what we were just talking about with some of these other teams that traded up in the first round. But I think especially once you get into the second, third, fourth round, the difference between a lot of these prospects is pretty minimal. So unless, right. unless there's like a massive faller where you're like, okay, we have to take this guy because he should have gone 30 picks ago. Right. You shouldn't, it's, it's always dangerous to get super enamored with just the one name. Yep. You kind of need to just like, take a cold blooded business approach and be like, we're just going to get the pure best value here at some point. And for them, they just got such an array of picks and then kind of got the best of both worlds. Cause a lot of the guys they probably would have taken with those original picks wound up just falling right into their laps. Oh, I, I mean, I, I could not love their draft more. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just going to count them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven guys from my top 100 went to the Carolina. So obviously I'm going to like what they did because it makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Blake Murray was probably was, was listed as one of my favorite sleepers of the draft. They got him in the sixth round. I mean, it, 
it, it is incredible that this is a team that was in the Eastern Conference Final, and here they have this haul with Ryan Suzuki at the very top. He's he's one of their top prospects outside of you know Martin Neches, well, and, and they won yeah. the Calder Cup. And they won the Calder yeah. Cup. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, some of these guys, you know, who knows? It, it won't take them terribly long to get over here. Um, you know, they they I, I just I, they didn't think about the size or the risk factor. And like you, when you have those multiple picks, you can take the Antonio Honka, who needs a lot of work yeah. defensively. You can take Dominic Fensori, yeah. the 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 five foot seven defenseman. Yes. I mean, how many five foot seven defensemen are there in the NHL? But he's an elite skater and yeah. a good good offensive player. And then we both love Kirill Slepitz, who is a, oh. a, a just a five foot eight missile. Yeah. So I mean, like it's 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 really fun to see when a team does this and does it this well. Um, and yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm sure that there's a, there is an Eric Tulski effect there yeah. and, uh, and it, it played uh, beautifully. And even their seventh rounder, Massimo Rizzo, yeah. high end skill, you know, I don't know if he'll pan out, but you're betting on skill yeah. and that, that was a theme throughout the draft for them. Well, I think, I think I saw Manny tweeted out. He has like a, like a projected like 40% chance of becoming an NHL regular and with a seventh round pick. That's yeah. Like, that's, that likelihood is very good. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, I think this, the team that had, had the second most picks was the Red Wings, and we talked a little bit about more Siders so far. Mm-hmm. But obviously a theme for them was getting defensemen. Big they, time. They took five of them. They, uh, they took three in the first two rounds. Um, you know, speaking of organizational needs, as you look at their current roster, and it's a lot of Cronwall, Erickson, Daly, Mike Green – there's very little there in the way of youth. They got Jared McIsaac last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dennis Shalowski started off last year really good for them. He was a former first-round pick. I think he has upside. Philip Hronick, who I love a lot, was a mm-hmm. second-round pick that same year, I believe. So they're getting some pieces here. Um, as much as we sort of questioned taking Cider as high as they did, it's clear that they at least went about addressing their biggest area of need or, or biggest priority for them in this draft. And so I thought that was interesting that, like, they just went so all in in that one facet of the game, and I guess we'll see how that pans out over the next couple of years. Yeah, I I was so surprised too, just because I mean, really, they're in a position as an organization where they just they they need to continue building up young talent regardless of position. And you know, when you're at number six, you just figure, oh well, there's there's Dylan Cousins, there's Cole Caulfield, there's Trevor Zegers, there's all these guys um, that that potentially could provide more long term value than more at cider. But yeah, I mean, that did feel like a need based kind of pick. Um, I'm sure that Steve Eisman would bristle at that. Mm. Uh, I think that they probably just had more cider there. Um, Anti Tuomisto is another really interesting one. I think he's super raw. Um, I didn't love him in games that I watched this year. I, I thought that his short distance quickness to, you know, in closing speed right. was not at a level that was going to be make his size effective. Um, but I do know that there's there's a rawness to him. And I, and I think you know, it's kind of worth taking a chance on. I did, however, really like the 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 value that they got in their middle range picks, especially like their later second round and and third round picks, like like Robert Mastro Simone, who who I really liked is is a you know he's in my top thirty, he was in my top forty this year, um, and, and then Albert Johansson, who you know I thought that there were some people that thought he should be a first rounder. I never saw that, but I love him as a as a third, you know, and then and then Alvin Gurieva who is an unbelievable body checker and, you know, he kind of lacks offensive sense, but he's got some skill and he can skate. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they kind of got a good diversity of talent, I would say. And mm. then they also got one of my favorite sleepers in the draft, which Elmer Soderblom, who is a six foot seven winger <laughs> uh, and 
he can actually skate, right? Which you need if you if you can't skate, you can't play. And then you also have, uh, you know, he's got good hands. So I mean, I thought that having as many picks as they did, they did address the key near key area of need um, effectively. Like I didn't ding them too badly because of you know the the first two picks that I thought were reaches, um, because I feel like they they made significant strides in in building out their pro- prospect pipeline. Okay, let's get into some losers. I feel like we've mm. been too optimistic. Here. We have been too nice. Okay, I, I, I'm going to give you my w- first one. And okay. it's not necessarily as, as my... I mean, we're lumping this draft weekend together. It includes trades. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to give the Predators a bad grade here. <laughs> Obviously, whenever you turn P.K. Subban into Steven Santini, Jeremy Davies, and two second-round picks, uh, we'll get into the ramifications of that a little more here and sort of the actual on-ice NHL effect, but... The thing that really bugged me was, and I know this just goes against what we just talked about, the Carolina Hurricanes killing it with the volume-based approach, but that one second-round pick they got was the 34th overall pick. Right. And Bobby Brink's sitting right there, and they're making this trade so that – I understand they're in kind of win-now mode, so they're making the, the PKC band trade so they can probably sign Matt Duchesne because they feel like their forward depth isn't up to snuff and they need more high-end skill. Yeah. And Bobby Brink clearly won't factor into anyone's 2019, 2020 main roster anyways. Right, so right. that's kind of besides the point. But at least just like, like take the guy there with that 34th pick. I'd feel much better about the return if they got a guy who I think really should have gotten in the first round. And yeah. instead they trade him for two picks where I didn't really think they got anything of necessary, like any, anything of note. Like I, I love Bobby Brink there and we just commended Chuck Fletcher for going up and getting him. Yeah. And I just wish the Predators did something more with that pick. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, obviously the the Subban trade was you know a shock to the system for for all of us for right. a second there. I mean, and, and they're you know, and I will say I think Jeremy Davies he had a bit of a he's he's, he's a pretty good prospect. I mean, he's not he's he's a middle range prospect, but he's still a thing. Uh, and then and then also <laughs> he's a physical. He, he is he is he is a person. Yeah. Um, I I also didn't necessarily feel like Bobby Brink was a was a stylistic fit for the for the Preds because of the skating situation with mm. him. Um, I do think that they, they did still have an other second round pick and they got Igor Afanasiev who right. is a, a power winger, you know, really he's going to play at Windsor next year. He, he dominated in the USHL this year. I didn't mind that. And I thought their draft, the actual picks that they made in this draft were, were quite good. Mm. Um, I, I wasn't super high on Alexander Campbell. I know a lot of people are. He was Alex Newhook's line mate at Victoria this year in the BCHL. But they did get some defensemen, Mark Delgaizo and uh, Semyon Chistakov, who I, I like both of those guys. Uh, Delgaizo more of a sleeper, and Chistakov was actually in my top 100. And uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, if you if you do lump in the Subban trade, for sure. Oh, that's what I'm doing you, And you have to. Yeah. And, and you have to, and, and I, I say that's that's totally fair. But, but, I mean, I think that they can at least be happy with their draft, yeah. if not necessarily entirely happy with, the return for okay, well, give me, give me, give me, give me some losers then. Come on, man. Like, I know, I know, I know. Well, that well, not they, everyone they, can win. They can be a loser for you. That's oh, I'm fine. giving, I'm giving them a loser. Yeah, you, you can do that. I mean, I, I didn't. Well, I mean, uh, poor Columbus only had three picks. I mean, right. you know, so that that's just a bad. They lost, but they've dra- they've drafted so well. They have in the past, and their prospect like pipeline is, and Texier is and fine. Like that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't really hurt them that badly. No. And and the kid that they did take with their first pick. Played like six games all year, 
Uh, and and he, I, I, I don't want to, I just, I don't think I can pronounce his name, so that's why I'm not <laughs> saying it. But, but I'd heard kind of later on or earlier in the season, or not early in the season, later in the season, that there were a lot of teams that were hoping that nobody knew about him. Right. Um, so, you know, of course, of course, Yarmo oh, and his staff him, knows yeah. about him. So, yeah, but I mean, still, it's only three picks. You can't make much of an impact. Um, beyond the first round, Dallas, I did, didn't do much in terms. Right. They only had four picks. I like Thomas Harley as a first rounder. Also known as um, Harley Thomas. Yeah, also Harley Thomas. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Uh, we did Can you miss imagine, out- like, you've been working so hard towards this for your entire life, which, which is, I guess, only 17 or 18 years at this point. But this is your dream. You're going to be looking back at the tape. You're going to be watching this. You're going to be telling your grandkids about it. And then your name doesn't even get pronounced no, correctly. Like, no. Yeah. That was, that was, I was like, wait a second. What just happened? Yeah. Who is that? Like, I guess, like, for like Claude Giroux, for example, when, it, when you know, they got his name wrong. Like, yeah. I forgot about it. Like, I guess, yeah. like, it's, it's kind of funny, especially if you do wind up turning into an NHL star. Of course. Kind of, yeah. Then it's part of your you story. Kind of yeah. Of course. It's like, oh, that's an amazing story. But, it, I imagine at this point it's a little bit like I just want to hear my name called. Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I also I didn't love Calgary's draft, and yeah. this is the second straight year where they, I mean, last year they just didn't have picks. This year, like Jacob Peltier, I don't know how you feel about him. I I've watched him enough where it's like, I think I see it often. You know, he's got skill, he's got talent. I just I, I just don't see him as a real good fit for Calgary in terms of the way that they play and. Mm. Um, I, I think he does have some tenacity and things like that. And I'm, I, the size is one thing. I don't, I don't think it's that big of a concern. Um, but you know, they just didn't have a lot of picks and I felt like there was better, there were better options available to them at that slot than, than Peltier. Um, and then after that, you know, Ilya Nikolaev, pretty good value in the third round. I, I do like Josh Nodler and, and Dustin Wolf is, is a, is a pretty good goaltender in, for a seventh round pick. Um, but still, I I feel like you know you got to make your money in that first round, and I, I didn't love that one for them. I think it, it it's a it, that was a riskier pick. Has there ever been a statement with more damning with Fane Braze than pretty good for a goalie with a seventh round pick? Well, yeah, I mean you know he's he he had a great year in the Dub this that's, that's year. A, that's, a lot of, mean, that's a lot of disclaimers. Yeah, there's he's a pretty lot. good for a goalie as, as a seventh. Round yeah, exactly. I mean, I like Dustin Wolf. I, I he was a ranked goalie. I you know in the separate goalie rankings I did. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's undersized for the goaltending position and, and there's still some work that needs to be done, but he's a, he's a really interesting player for sure. Okay. Well, let's, uh, you know, what, what a winner is teams that, uh, maintain cap space and, and let's lump the devils into this. Obviously, mm-hmm. whenever you get the best player in the draft and, and have the first overall pick, you're just by default, I guess, a winner. You got the oh best player. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can speak more to the rest of the draft picks they made. I know they had decent volume, but mm-hmm. what I really loved was, and I guess the volume plays into this where they could go out and. They traded one of those seconds for Subban, and they still had a couple more picks to play with there. And, and you know, with Subban, what's interesting is that I know he just turned 30. He's making $9 million a year for the next three years. Um, and and he was struggled this year. I think he had quite a bit of a down year. And now, the year before, he was a Norris finalist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the track record speaks for itself. I don't know how much you want to weigh more, the fact that he had one bad year but is, turning, is 30, so this might be the new norm for him, or the fact that he has the – almost a decade worth of NHL dominance. We'll see. But for them, I just thought it made sense because, you know, you have to convince Taylor Hall that he wants to stay in New Jersey. You have one more year to do that. And their biggest needs were, I thought, dynamic skill, but especially on the blue line. They have Severson. They have Will Butcher. But beyond that, it's a lot of question marks. It's a lot of holes. Mm -hmm. And adding a guy like Subban of that caliber, I think, 
and then you bring in Hughes into the mix as well. Hall will hopefully be healthy. You know, you got Hishier. You have all these speedy wingers that I really like that I actually think are, are a great fit that'll help Hughes' transition into the NHL from day one. Yeah. We talk about his NHL readiness, I think, playing with guys like Miles Wood and Blake Coleman who are just able to keep up with him yeah. speed-wise yeah. and love to shoot and love to retrieve the puck, and all you just need to do is just, like, pass it to them yeah. and then they'll shoot and then they'll recover it and pass it to you back and you wait and give it back to them. I think there's going to be a lot of fun interplay there. So I really like that the devils just got so much more talented and part of it was obviously just winning the lottery and having the first overall pick. But the other part of it was like, they haven't made a lot of bad contract mistakes. So they had the ability to take advantage of the situation that presented itself and cash in and take advantage of the predator's misfortune. And their team looks a lot better now than it did heading into today. Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, it, 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 I think it just changes the entire outlook. You know, obviously it's going to have to, they're going to have to get the goaltending next year. And, right. and we're not sure what that's going to look like, you know, and, and that's, that's important. But then, yeah, they also have, so they get better in the immediate term. They also get, you know, Jack Hughes, obviously, but I love their draft too. The volume that they had in, in the draft, not just the volume, but the players they got. Graham Clark is a really skilled player, played for the auto 67s this year. Um, uh, Daniel Misuel is, uh, is a really good defenseman as is, uh, Nikita Okotok. Uh, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but you know, they're, they're both the, the, that's good value. Same with Michael Vukovic, who's more of a, of a, of a defensive defenseman and a throwback a bit, but I still like the way that he plays and, um, you know, and, and Patrick Moynihan, who they got in the sixth round was a, was a top 60 guy on my board. I think he's underrated. Um, you know, he's in, and so they, they did. So the future and uh and and obviously getting pk is crazy so i i mean that that was that was just i'm still kind of wrapping my head around that i didn't really have time to to process that today yeah because i was trying to get ready for the second round but it was just like whoa yeah like, your big takeaway was what does this mean for the 34th overall day? yeah exactly <laughs> i was like oh okay well this will be interesting yeah but that was uh that was fantastic i mean like you know I think that John Hines is a really good coach too. Mm. You know, I, I worked with him back in the day. I don't and, know. He's pretty short. Yeah. I don't know. Like, does he does he command the respect of his teammate yeah. of his team? I don't know. He's yeah. short. Yeah, well, yeah. I forget where I forget where yeah, that fr- came fr- from. Friedman Friedman talked about that's, how teams were scared to sign to. Yeah, that's right. Hire him as a coach because he was too short. He's one of the more like commanding presidents. Yeah, yeah, I've that I've ever been around. I mean, yeah. So he's he's a fantastic coach and and I think he's going to get the most. Like he's a good coach for Jack Hughes. Get more out of Jack Hughes. Um, it'll be interesting to see the PK Subban uh, dynamic with with Je- with John Hines as well. Um, but I mean, he likes skilled players. He likes players that play fast. Yeah, he wants to play fast. That's he the funny wants, thing. We yeah. think of the Devils yeah. as like the Devils, right? Yeah. Where it's like right. slow defense, neutral yeah, zone trap. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. like they haven't been that. They just haven't, unfortunately, really had the horses. They to haven't. You're right. Take yeah. advantage of that. But right. now they're getting those guys and putting Hughes and Subban into that Ch- system. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how it looks. Yeah, it changes everything for them. So I, I, I mean. They're, they're, them and the Rangers are going to be instant watchable oh. teams next year. And those games are going to be very fun to watch. Fantastic. Very fast-paced. Fantastic. Um, the Canucks are winner slash loser for me. I like that they kept this theme going of making home run picks. I mean, obviously, you know, Pedersen worked out very well for them. Hughes fell into their laps a little bit, but already looks like an absolute steal where they got him last year. But Cole's in at 10. Um, 
we don't need to kind of relitigate his sort of resume as a prospect. Right. But I just I, I I think it was a bit of a surprise that Canucks went that route. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I like it. I'm curious to see how it plays out. And then you know in the second round with their first pick today, they got Niels Hoglander, who was one of my favorites. Or yeah. Uh, I don't know, I want to say off the radar because in 2019 it's really hard to be off the radar with right, so much information right. out there. It feels like everyone right. has the same sleeper picks. But I love his game, and I think if he was a couple inches taller, people would be talking about him as like a lottery pick. Yeah. And so I like the upside there. And this is a team that needs as many of those upside lottery ticket picks as they can. And then literally like minutes after uh, drafting Hoglander, they trade a future first-round pick for JT Miller. And I think everyone was just like, "What just happened?" This is this is like the 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 Jim Benning roller coaster in a nutshell. It's like great draft pick. I wish we had more of them. Oh, now we have less of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I I think Miller could be a decent fit for them. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a pretty rich, pretty rich return. Um, and then, but but yeah, the whole thing with Pod Colson, I I'm. I didn't think that he should fall too far. No. I don't think teams needed to be as nervous as they seem to be early on. And I think after the combine, most teams weren't really that nervous anymore. Um, you know, he's. But do you think they were nervous about him coming actually over, like coming to North yeah, America, that's or what I mean. or, yeah. or lack of production? What do you think was a bigger concern? I think the the contract was yeah. a bigger concern because I think anybody that saw him, um, you know, and, and saw the season that he had, it was kind of a wild season. Yeah. And we we've talked about that a bit with you know where he's had he played for three teams in Russia, he played half of his season in North America playing in tournaments yeah. practically. Um, you know, he was never really in the same spot. I don't know how, you know, so I didn't want to look at the numbers too much and, and he didn't have a great under 18 world championship, but he's a good defender. He's he's really has great effort and I think that he kind of fits into what Vancouver is trying to do um, and gives them a guy that that can be really difficult to play against on top of being really skilled. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that all plays out. But again, getting Nils Hoglander, I mean, yeah. he's got who's one of the most skilled guys in this class, um, one of the more dynamic talents. I mean, they've they've been doing really well um, at the draft table these last few years. Well, I was I was interested about the Bud Colson pick because I think you know you tie it all together. I think the reason why they went out and traded such a premium asset and a future first for JT Miller was this is Jim Benning's last year of his contract. They haven't made the playoffs in however many years now there's clearly like ownership wants his team to make the playoffs and become relevant again. And so you're trying to get ready-made NHL players to step into your lineup and help. And I don't even know beyond Brock Besser, like JT Miller is instantly their second best winger. So it's clearly an upgrade for the present. Um, and so I guess part of the rationale or part of the kind of confusion about the Bud pick was like, not that he's never going to come over, but we know pretty much for sure that it's going to be at least two years. Right. And so I think people are like, is Jim Benning, what are the odds that Jim Benning is even running the Canucks when Vasily Pekolzin makes his NHL debut? It's a kind of crazy thing to think about. But at the same time, pretty much all these guys that you would have gotten in that range, like I thought Alex Newhook would have been a great pick there. Yeah. He's going to be playing college hockey. He's not going to be right, changing right. your lineup. Yeah. Two there was like all the, yeah. like most of these guys are going to take at least two to three years. So, that is not a concern for me, and I'm not. I think eventually he's going to come over, and how productive he'll be, we'll see. But I think the playing style is so unique and so interesting and so different than this kind of like stereotypical Russian factor that you right, think of. So right. I think people are going to re- like really love watching him play. I think so too. I, I think you know he he just does a lot of different things really well, and he always gives you the best effort. I I don't think there's ever been a, an issue of him dogging it. I mean, he's always out there 
Um, the fact that at the World Juniors, he was on you know one of Russia's PK units as an underage player for a coach that hates using underage players. I mean, that's the same guy that had on, the Andrei Svechnikov in a fourth line situation the year before. Um, it, so it's really, you know, it, it's I think that the the Canucks. And, and really give credit to Jim Benning because he probably had to know, like, hey, maybe I won't be here when this kid's here. Right. <laughs> but he took him anyway. And, and I do think that the value at 10 is still pretty high. I think I, I had Vasily at 9 on my mm. final list. Um, and at one at midseason, he was number 3 for me. Um, so, yeah, so it's just kind of an interesting uh, an interesting dynamic to think about. But I, I think ultimately the, the Canucks will be happy with the pick that they made there. Is there anyone any, – any other teams or any other situations that – we should talk about. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think. Um, yeah, I think that basically, you know, we. I think we covered the big ones there. Um, you know, Chicago getting Kirby Doc. I, I know that there were people that wanted a defenseman, even though they have four really good defense prospects in their system. But yeah, but I thought that they needed a forward more than anything. They don't have anything in their pipeline that's of of like the that level that Kirby Doc brings. In your ranking, where did you have uh, Raphael Lavoie? I had him at I had him at eighteen, I believe, seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. So, what, what would you put the odds at Rafael Lavoie ten years from now? We look back and he has had a better NHL career than Philip Robert. It's it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> I think it's much more possible than the Oilers like, yeah, would like to think about. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> considering I mean, where they took the two, I guys. think yeah, and I think yeah, it's interesting because they did take a couple of guys that had a wide range of opinions on them, and I think that Broberg ultimately will be a fine a fine player for them. It's mm. just a matter. I you know I actually liked them a little better than Soderstrom, um, liked them a little better than uh, Mort Sider as well, and uh, you know the fact that you know Ken Holland went and got that guy, I think he's a good fit for them. But but yeah, Lavoie has such upside it's just a matter of can he get the maturity can he bring it every night because when he's at the top of his game right he takes over games but he just doesn't do it enough to where teams were comfortable to pick him in the first round yeah yeah i get that um all right let's uh let's get out of here we deserve a little break a little i rest, i'm get some yeah dinner, i'm dinner maybe a nap yeah a couple beers yeah something um, like that uh so plug some stuff where tell people about what you've done what you've been keeping busy with this weekend, and then when are you starting the uh, the 2020 coverage? Where, uh, <laughs> you know, 2019 at this point is old news. It you is know old about news. What's happening in 2020, which I have heard is an absolutely loaded draft. Yeah, it, it's going to be a fun draft for sure. Well, to answer that question, we'll have something next week mm. on on the 2020 draft, and just kind of a, a look at some of the top names to know for that draft. Also, uh, everything on ESPN.com, our pick-by-pick analysis. Um, a lot of my stuff is usually on ESPN+. Plus. Our pick-by-pick analysis is not. It's right on our, our main site. So definitely check that out. That was more for the first round. Uh, we did do draft grades, which are on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, and then also uh, we'll have uh, the, the ESPN on Ice podcast competing yep. podcasts or no it's not competing at all sister podcast yeah. brother podcast brother podcast yeah relative podcast. relative yeah. uncle podcast yeah um but anyway yeah so that so we've got that and um the, w- there's some some draft analysis on there as well so yeah it's just everything on espn.com chris m peters on twitter there we go. um and yeah just uh i i it's been such a fun year. Yeah. Like i've loved this draft class i've loved following it i love my job um and it's been it's been awesome to be out here in Vancouver to see you and uh, to see all the great people here. I mean, we got a really cool uh, family out here with the with the with the crazy prospect people and everybody else uh, involved. So. Are, you, are you doing the new? Was that a new thing where it's like every team's last pick? They're like, we just like to thank Vancouver for being a great. That's host pretty team. much like, what I was dragging doing. this seventh yeah. round on. Just make your pick. Can we, you know, and we didn't talk about Ray Shiro and like 
the worst intro to a first oh overall pick in the history of the that draft. Was insane. <laughs> and he totally did it on purpose nice. too. So gotta love Ray Shiro. All but right. anyway. All right, Chris. So this is a blast. You've <laughs> earned many, many days off. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for crushing it. Really enjoyed your coverage. And Thank you. we will chat soon. All right. Thanks, Dimitri. The Hockey Pediocast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pediocast.